0: Hello. Sit down to play and then turn my back and a whole lot of people wander in. It's good. Really good. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Um, How many days is it? Two. Two? I remember the countdown to the Sydney Olympics. Um, I remember we lived in Coffs Harbour at the time and every now and then we'd, we'd go and we'd visit family in Sydney and they had this huge big sign over the road counting down the days. And I feel like we have a mini version of that experience that happens in this church. It's wonderful. Thank you, Linda. Um, Christmas, hey? So I I can see we've got some some people who've traveled, some visitors who are in the room. Welcome. Good to see you. Um, We know that there's some folk who are away at the moment, some newlyweds. Hello. Welcome. Um, Laying under the Christmas tree to remind your family that you're a gift... I love every now and then when there's the the one idea (laughs) that seems transportable. It's good. Um, I want to just hook your thinking just for a moment this morning. I just want you to close your eyes for a second. Imagine, because we love gift giving and we love receiving gifts and and the hampers have just been fantastic this this year. Again, let me echo uh, Linda's words. Thank you to everyone who was involved in the hamper project. Um, but just close your eyes for a second. Imagine if this year, if if you were going to give gifts to, to friends or family or loved ones, if everyone had to receive the same gift, yeah, what would you get them? Socks. If, if, this, if this was like one of those sort of magic sort of... Guess how they did the trick things? that might suggest that I had planted the thought in your thinking. Socks, chocolate. Not going there. Now the reason... I, I thought it was the kids we were going to have difficulty with this morning. Um, now... the So the reason I asked the question though is because when we have a look at the scriptures, this is, this is actually the heart of the Christmas story. This is what we come together to celebrate at, at Christmas. It's how we've wound up with this celebration. The first couple of hundred years of Christianity, Christians didn't get together and celebrate Christmas. They, they had a feast of the incarnation. And the word incarnation literally means the enfleshment, the wrapping up in a physical, tangible Um, corporeal manifest thing that you could see and touch and feel when we have a look at um, the letters that John writes and as well as the start of John's gospel he says we have seen him with our own eyes we have touched him we have laid hold of him and we're, we're giving you all of this information because that's the same experience that we want from you Jesus turns up and he is God's gift to everyone Every single person gets the same gift. And where we're going this morning is we're going to talk about how we respond. Imagine when you give socks to every single person that you know, every single person in your family, and they're not different pairs of socks. They're the same pair of socks. One size fits all becomes a challenge in, in some households. But you can think that some people might respond in a really happy way, like Michael. Would respond in a really, really, really happy way get a pair of socks. Some people, their attitude may not be the same pleasant attitude if they thought maybe they were going to get something more than just socks. And this morning we're going to talk about Jesus giving himself as a gift to the world because he chose that this would be his gift. He chose to turn up himself. The scriptures tell us in Philippians that Jesus was equal with God. And the ancient creeds of, of the followers of Christ talk about God from God and light from light, begotten, not created. Um, he is eternally the Son and the Father is eternally the Father. And they exist together in unity with the Spirit. And how that happens is something that we cannot fathom, at least not on this side of glory. But that in eternity, in the heart of God, was this desire to restore relationship that would get broken. We find in um, we find in Genesis this promise of restoration would happen. Now, I'm sure that most of us here this morning know that the Bible tells one story from cover to cover, and it's the story of God coming to rescue His people. That God creates humanity any way that He wants, and the original created intent of God is that He would walk and talk with human beings, that we would know Him so well and so intimately that He would be present and not distant. He would be intimate and not separated and when we ruin that when humanity says actually we would rather be god thank you very much to ourselves we don't want to be under your authority we will be our own authority it messes everything up it shipwrecks everything one of the the classic phrases or used to encapsulate that is that humanity becomes totally wrecked or totally depraved And we find these promises that God starts giving people. This is right at the start of Genesis. When God curses the universe, when God enters back into creation and breaks it, he says the ground will now produce thorns and thistles. Creation now is not the creation God intended it to be. He curses the relationship between Adam and Eve. Relationships now don't function the way God always intended and created them to be. We, we live in a busted, broken universe. I say to people sometimes, I didn't pick bad eyesight. I didn't pick a faulty appendix. I didn't pick wisdom teeth that would need to, to get removed. I don't want to relive that experience. It's great. You can only ever get wisdom teeth removed once. No, you can't. You can't, actually. Sorry, some people have it really bad. They get multiple sets of wisdom teeth. But our universe is busted and broken, and we see it all around us. We don't really need a sermon on how messed up everything is. But God starts making these promises. Here in Genesis 3.15, he is cursing Satan. He is cursing the, the enemy, the one who has come and done everything, who has taken the form of a serpent. And he says, I will put enmity or, or distance or dysfunction or or wreckage. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Humanity and Satan will be in conflict. And between your offspring and hers, he, singular, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right there, Adam and Eve received from God, in the midst of God cursing and breaking everything, there is a promise that someone someday is going to come and crush the serpent's head. Not one amen. Come on. All right. Isaiah chapter 9. So we see that God starts putting his spirit in a really powerful way on individuals throughout the Old Testament and making these people mouthpieces for him. We're going to have a look at a couple. Isaiah says this. um, Looking forward, prophesying about the future. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. A child will be born who is called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What child could possibly be called Father at the same time? Verse 7 Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Not even King David reigned forever. And here we're going to have a son turn up who is mighty God and everlasting father and his kingdom will not end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will make this happen. The rescuer who is coming is is going to be something that God makes happen. Micah chapter 5. Micah is a good name. Have we got a Micah in the room? Hello, Micah. (laughs) Micah chapter 5. The prophet says this, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me. This is God talking through the prophet. Will come from me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. I find it fascinating that even what we see here in verse 3, you know, the rest of his brothers will return to join the Israelites. We see that um, one of the biological children of both Joseph and Mary, a guy by the name of James, who grows up in the same household of Jesus, ends up becoming a leader of the Jerusalem church. He's not one of the disciples until the resurrection. And then after that, he becomes head of the Jerusalem church. Really cool. You get that one for free. Psalm 24, verse 7 says this, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. I love this because the King of glory is for some reason outside the gates of heaven. What is the king doing outside the gates? Verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. The Lord leaves heaven and comes back and needs to be identified as he approaches the gates of heaven. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel has this vision. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, or like a human being, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which is my favorite name for God that we find in Scripture. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language even pigeon it's good worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed there is a hero coming there is a champion of heaven coming one who is a child and yet god one who is the king of heaven and yet For some reason is outside of heaven, one who looks like the Son of Man, but God gives glory to. Has anyone here ever seen a film called Talladega Nights? Not a deeply spiritual film. But there is a character in Talladega Nights who when he says grace over his evening meal, he always prays to to baby Jesus. In his golden fleece diaper. It's not a very theologically correct film. But he always prays to baby Jesus. Um, and he also prays other prayers as well. Um, ask me after the service, we'll talk about some of them. But at Christmas, there are, there are a whole lot of places where, where you can see a nativity scene set up. Less common nowadays in Australia, but still relatively safe for for businesses or shopping centers or schools to put up a nativity scene, baby Jesus is not very threatening. And it is possible for some of us who are here or for some of us who have family and friends that this picture of baby Jesus and oh yes, he comes and he's so loving, he is not threatening. But the one who comes on the clouds of heaven, the one who all glory and honor and authority is given to by God is a threat. It is, it is fascinating that in Australia today, people do not connect the Jesus of the Bible with the baby that turns up at Christmas. We, we need to begin again. This is a massive conversation that seems to be happening across many churches and denominations right across our country that as Christians, we need to again become very adept, very good at explaining who Jesus is because the country that we now live in is more of a pre-Christian country than it has ever been. The Jesus that we find in the manger is the same one that sits on the throne of heaven. And the one who the angels turn up to sing about is the same one that they bow down to. And the one star that led the wise men to where Jesus is, that star was put in place by the one who is in the manger. See, Jesus picked where he would turn up and when he would turn up. Jesus chose the day that he would actually be born on. He actually picked his parents and his circumstances. And it's important that we realize who we are dealing with when we come to celebrate Jesus at Christmas. See, it is up to God to keep his promises, but how we respond to this person of Jesus Christ is up to us. So for a couple minutes we're just gonna have a look at three of the people that we find in Scripture and the way that they respond to Jesus. Who might this first person be? Herod. Herod. What do we know about Herod? He's evil. Okay, he's evil. He to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus? Okay, you guys are answering all the questions. You've got to give the adults. you got to give the adults a chance. All right. Adults, come on. Come on, the kids are showing you up. Come on. Um, Herod turns up in the story in Matthew's gospel when these magi, and we don't know how many there were, these magi or these wise men. Sometimes the word magi is also translated as priests. These are holy men and educated, and they have some wealth because of the gifts that they bring. They turn up to have a conversation with Herod. And they turn up having been already on a long journey. All right, we'll talk about the magi in a minute. And how does Herod respond? If you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2 and cheat by actually reading your Bible. So Herod is interested. The words that we find in the New Testament is that Herod is disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Because when the Magi turn up, they go, where's the king? And you're sitting in front of Herod. And they ask, where's the king? Don't you know about this? He's being born. We saw his star. Now Herod was a puppet king. So Israel is under the oppression of which empire? The Roman Empire. But in order to to give the locals the sense that they actually have some kind of control, they put a puppet king in place. And he is Herod. So here is Herod and he knows that his relationship with Rome and him being in this position hangs by a thread. And now some wise men turn up and they go, where's the real king? We saw his star in the heavens. And we can understand straight away that for Herod, this child being born is a threat to his power. All of a sudden, a real king with a real star turning up in heaven that has been really prophesied because he goes and he asks the, 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 the holy men, the priests and the, and the teachers of the law, he says, do you know about this? And they go, yeah, at Bethlehem. All of a sudden it shows up very quickly the nature of Herod's authority and power and it shows that he is a fraud. But it also is a risk to his personal comfort. So Herod responds even though he's very much removed from the specifics concerning Jesus he knows that this person who has their own title already is a threat to his power he might lose his power Jesus authentic and real and validated kingship shines a light on Herod's claim to the throne and we can be the same we can be a bit like Herod, that we see Jesus from a distance. And and even from a distance, even only knowing little sketchy things about who Jesus is, it makes sense that if he is really God from God and light from light, this is something that needs to be taken seriously. If he is who he says he is, then it challenges who we think we are. If Jesus is really God-made flesh then maybe like Herod, my kingship and my power and my control and my status is getting called into question. We can be like Herod because we try to shut it down. What does Herod do to try and shut down this thing that's happening with Jesus? You're allowed to yell the answer out. It's... Absolutely. He realizes... He realizes that because of the time when this child would have been born, that he can send people, he can put something in place, and he will try to shut down this threat to him and his power and his control. And there are people that we meet where maybe it's not, um, the technical term is infanticide, the killing of infants. But there are people that go, you know what? I'm just going to shut this conversation down. I don't want to know. I've heard enough. I'm not interested in all of that. And they never actually begin the process of addressing their own status. There are people that we meet like that. And just as there are some folk who see God from a distance or Jesus from a distance and decide we're going to shut it down and lock it out, there are folk who see something of God from a distance And instead, it's like a fire gets lit inside of them. The Magi, um, from very early on in Christian tradition, there were stories that they were actually of three different ethnicities. They were three different races. Very early on in Christianity, those stories began, and they actually had names for them, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Supposedly, one was African and one was Asian. Um, And the third one, I don't remember at the top of my head at the moment. But this story about these people that were from diverse backgrounds and who ended up traveling out of their comfort zone, away from their families, away from everything that they were in control of because there was something of far greater value. And this is another way that people respond. We can be like this. Maybe this is your story this morning. They question they reason, they search, they hunger. For some reason, these people who are already quite comfortable probably living the life that they have, they have this burning desire that they want to be where God is. They want to draw near to God. And they come and what do they do? They search the Scriptures. They humble themselves. They ask for help. That's how they end up having a conversation with Herod in the first place. And maybe this is your journey this morning. Maybe the only thing that's actually preventing you from moving in God's direction is asking for help or maybe is humbling yourself or maybe is starting that journey and going, all right, I need to ask these questions. There's a third group that we see. Of people who respond and they're not magi or priests and they're not kings or nobles they are probably uneducated and they probably smell like sheep our house is down on near the highway and there are trucks that I don't have to see when they go past <laughs> to know to know that the truck is either loaded or unloaded um, These people would have lived their life outdoors, not in palaces. And to these people, not the Magi, not the king, God sends a great company of the heavenly host. These are the people to whom the message about the Savior is broadcast. This message had been hidden since the very beginning. And the mystery, Scripture says, The mystery of Christ, even angels themselves had longed to look into. And here are some shepherds watching their sheep and the host of heaven is is put in their face. God has made the truth unavoidable and overwhelming and scary and confronting and yet simple to understand all at once. It's an extraordinary snapshot of God's values, I think. God doesn't send the heavenly host to the magi or to the angels. He doesn't send them even to the temple. He sends them to some shepherds and we don't even know their names. On this day, it was far, far better to be a shepherd than to be a king. It was far better to be a shepherd than to be a priest. And for some of us, maybe this is also our experience that maybe one day it just became strikingly obvious and bright and clear and loud and simple that Jesus had come and that Jesus is for me, that he is here for us, that the one in the manger is the one who was promised. Maybe that's your experience, that one day it just occurred that Jesus wins. You know what? We are allowed to celebrate like a shepherd sometimes. What do the shepherds do after they find out? So after the heavenly host, says it says, goes back into heaven, what do the shepherds do? They leave the sheep. They chat to each other for, the, for a moment and they're like, let's go have a look. Let's go have a crack at this. Yeah, let's, well, we got told we could find him. Well, let's go and find him. And what do they do? They go and they find The baby. With Joseph and with Mary. And this is where that scripture is, that he was in the manger. And they are invited. Bit of a different response than than Herod gives. Jesus is here. And he is the king and he knows what he is doing. He wins and there is a day where everything is going to be okay and we are allowed to celebrate and we are allowed to sleep deeply like shepherds. So why do we bother talking about these examples? What's the point of us looking at this this morning? It's really simple. People are people. And Herod and the Magi and the shepherds were not Aussies. They didn't speak English. They probably had different skin color to all of us. But I can find a lot of Aussies who respond like King Herod. I can find Aussies who respond like the Magi. And I can find Aussies who are like the shepherds who go, yep, got it. Awesome. Wow. Good. Everyone gets the same present for Christmas. There's only one. The same Jesus which the shepherds saw is the Jesus you will see. The same Jesus that the angels were singing about, you will join with them in singing and you will see him. The same Jesus, which was a threat to Herod, is a threat to our control as well. And to draw near to Christ is to give up control. We cannot seek Jesus and want to be completely in charge of our own lives. We need to let him be in charge of our lives. There's only one. And we need to make sure that the Jesus that we give people, not just at Christmas but all the time, we don't try and give a different Jesus to different people just to try and elicit a different kind of response. People will respond differently. We point all people to the exact same Jesus, the one that we find here. And their response is up to them. Same as your response is up to you. We said it before. It's God's job to keep his promises, but it's up to us to respond. So I encourage you, be a signpost this Christmas. Point people to Jesus and you know what? Let them have their response. Let people have their response. But it doesn't mean that we stop celebrating like the shepherds celebrated. It doesn't mean that we stop wanting to bring things of value before the lord like the magi doesn't mean that we stop pointing people to jesus i'm going to pray and then we're going to sing i think one maybe two more songs linda five more songs one more song one more song all right let's pray together Lord Jesus, you know in, in in the very seat of our hearts how we truly respond to you. And you know the things that stop us from from seeking you with a whole heart. For some of us here this morning, we don't want to come before you because of shame. For some of us, because we feel hurt. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are not willing to give up control. But Lord God, you see everything and you know our hearts and you keep calling us to yourself. And Lord Jesus, I ask that we would have the boldness and the courage this Christmas to address those things in our heart that actually stop us from getting on with it. Would you right now bring to our mind those things that prevent us from following you wholeheartedly, like the way the Magi followed the star. Lord God, would you bring to our mind maybe the things that stop us or hinder us from celebrating the way the shepherds celebrated, where there is not a sense of release, where we don't let our joy bubble over. Lord God, would you please talk to us about that? And Lord, most of all, where we struggle so much to let go of things that we want to be in control of, like Herod, Lord God, would you come in and would you show us your face? Lord God, would you show us your face? Would you show us who you are? And would you bring our lives and what we think of our own control into perspective? Would you shine that light on us that you shone on Herod? Lord God, we honor you at this time of year in particular. And we worship you and we celebrate you. Would your spirit be within us and upon us and amongst us? Would you be present in our conversations? And Lord God, would you stir us up to point other people to you, regardless of their response. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are God's gift to us. And in your precious name we pray, amen.